Thank you, Alex. Good evening. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Would you do that as we get back to our study? Our last time together while Alex was on vacation was a Q&A time where you gave me some great questions. We picked up a few more at the end of that night, and so we have some in the queue already. If you have questions you'd like to see addressed, about every six weeks or so, we'll do that. I would love to do that uh, up here for you. I won't say your name unless you want me to, and I figure if one person has a question, probably others do too. All right, so uh, submit those to me by email if you would. That would be helpful. You can find that email address right on the back of the bulletin. I was thinking about uh, some of the things we were talking about this morning and, and really the coming of the Lord as we wait for his return for the rapture. There was a man uh, visiting a certain elementary school and informed the class he'd give a prize to uh, the students whose desk he found the cleanest and most organized when he returned. When are you going to return, though, some of the students asked. Well, I can't tell you that, he replied. A little girl who'd been noted for her very disorderly habits around her desk intended to, said she intended to win the prize. Some of her classmates said, why, your desk is always a mess. There's no way you're going to win that prize. But she said, well, um, I'm going to because I'm going to clean it the first of every week. Well, what happens if he comes back at the end of the week, someone asked. Well, then she said, I'll clean it every morning. Well, what happens if he comes back at the end of the day? Well, she was silent just for a moment, and she said, I know what I'll do. I'll just keep it clean. And uh, so we must be, uh, as we think about being the Lord's servant, who would be ready to receive the prize that is coming, because that's exactly how he deals with us. He tells us that he will come, but not in the time that we'll expect. Maybe at midnight, it may be at the morning. Uh, the exhortation is not get ready, but be ready, right? And so we want to be that way. Tonight, we're going to look at some wonderful things. We're going to look at some dreadful things. Uh, and because the scripture says about Revelation, blessed is he who reads, hears, and keeps the words of this book, let's maximize our potential for blessing. Let's look at Revelation chapter 12. We'll read through this passage and then come back and discuss it. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was cut up to God and to his throne. Verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 10, Then I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven, saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, 
he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of a great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the present presence of the serpent. Verse 15. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Um, as we've moved our way into this, uh, this section of the book of Revelation, we have moved out of a section that uh, talked about the two witnesses and really a respite for John, if you will, in his series of visions as he's uh, been revealed, the Lord's been revealing to him the things which must soon take place. And we've moved now from this time of uh, talking about the two witnesses to a time of really filling in some gaps. And this is a, uh, a precarious time for the world, as we can see. We see a number of timestamps there, and it's been our desire as we've gone into this study for it to be very much like a study you would have at home. As this is really on the heels of how to study your Bible, how to get the most from your time in the Word, I really wanted to organize this study around in a way that perhaps you would do it. Uh, that you could read through the passage, have a, a section of uh, the scriptures marked off, and that you could get a general understanding of the chronology of these, uh, of these uh, chapters and a little bit of the language so that you could kind of cross-reference, which is what you would do and perhaps the natural way that you would uh, apply yourselves to the study of God's Word. And so that's what we tried to do here. As you may have noticed, we don't take as much time as we've taken in the morning, as we've gone word by word, although we are stopping in the in, I think, the most important places and cross-referencing them. My desire is for you to be familiar with this book, for you not to be intimidated by opening this book at all, and for you to look at this and say, okay, uh, these may be different types of passages we're reading, but the Bible explains the Bible, and we can come to a secure understanding of what this means uh, by applying ourselves to its study. And so, uh, this is this uh, world that we're talking about here. Um, as rebellion increases and all these things, we're going to see uh, some interesting things happen. But before we do that, we're, the Lord is filling in for us some gaps. Several years ago, there was a vessel on a calm, smooth sea. I remember reading this out of a journal, and it was kind of uh, written in, in an old-fashioned way, but I'll just kind of recite it to you like I read it because it impressed me well. And it, uh, it impressed me about it, the, the content of it and the story. And its, it's, uh, its application here would be obvious, I think, as we think about the world that uh, we live in now. Anyway, it went like this. It said, Some years ago, a vessel lay calm on a smooth sea in the vicinity of an iceberg. In full view, the mountain mass of frozen splendor rose up before the passengers of the vessel. Its towers and pinnacles glittering in the sunlight, clothed, he said, in the enchanting and varied colors of a rainbow. A party on board the vessel resolved to climb the steep sides of the iceberg and spend the day in a picnic on the summit. And that's exactly what they did. The novelty, the attraction of this enterprise really blinded them to its danger and they left their vessel. They ascended the steep mountain ice and spread their table at the summit and enjoyed their picnic 
of pleasure on the surface of that frosty marble. The journal goes on to say, Nothing disturbed their security, nothing marred their enjoyment. Their sport was finished, they made their way down to the water level and embarked. But scarcely had they reached a safe distance before the loud crash of the crumbling mass was heard. As they looked back, the scene of their gaiety was covered with huge fragments of the falling pinnacles and the giant iceberg rolled over. With a shock and with horror, they, they looked at, the, at this huge splendor and no one in the party could be induced to try that rash experiment again as they had just barely left it. Such, I think, is the world that we live in. In fact, as you look at the world and as you uh, watch some of the shows we see on television, you read about the things that are going on, it's almost as if this party is repeated on a worldwide level, isn't it? The way that people interact with each other, the way that they spend their time, their money, the way that they invest themselves, it's as if everything is going to be just like it's going to be from now on. But really, we know all too well, don't we, as we read the Word of God, as we wait on the Lord's return, that really this is very much like the world is doing now. Uh, they have a picnic on the pinnacle of an iceberg, which is uh, slowly melting away and will no longer be stable. And uh, as the author here kind of makes a parallel, he says, in its false splendor enchanting to the eye, dissolves while drop after drop trickles down its sides or steals unseen through its hidden pores. Its very foundations are melting away unnoticed. But can anyone, know, anyone who knows what it is avoid feeling that every moment is pregnant with danger and that the final catastrophe is hastening on? And that's really, that impressed me. I just thought, you know, that's really like our world today. That we just kind of do what we're going to do as if it's always going to exist. And that really is not the case. And as you kind of look at our world and you realize the rebellion continues to increase as more and more disobedient and disrespectful children come to adulthood, as more people continue to do what's right in their own eyes and continue with, with whatever they want to do, we come ever closer to the time of wrath and destruction from the Lord, don't we? And it's not hard to imagine that uh, as generations of children grow up and they don't respect their parents and they uh, will not uh, feel like everyone owes them something, they haven't been brought uh, up in discipline, it's not hard to see a whole generation eventually be in place that will receive the Antichrist, right? That's not hard to figure out because all their lives they've been in rebellion to authority and as they grow up into adulthood, it won't be hard for that generation then to receive to themselves someone who is really the impersonation or the embellishment of all rebellion, right? Because Scripture tells us in First John, right, that rebellion is the spirit of the Antichrist. And so, and just as our world changes and becomes more and more that way, more and more rebellious, more and more uh, just anti the things the scriptures instruct us, it's not hard to see that our generation gets closer to that time where the Lord will take away his church and begin this time of wrath. Now, chapter 12 goes back and picks up some details before we get to the final seven bowls. And it's fun to read through and see some gaps filled in. And it describes uh, Satan's continuous persecution of Israel and of the Messiah. And, uh, and the people of God, it describes how he's always been at war with God's people. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 12, if you would. <coughs> a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Verse 2, and she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Now, remember, a sign, we said this before, this is just a way that you pick up these, these verbal cues, a sign is a symbol representing something else. Okay, and so obviously John's giving us some signs and they are, uh, they are symbols of something else and we could fill in those gaps right here and you can make some notes if you'd like. The woman in this chapter represents Israel. 
She's always represented as a woman, and she's represented as a woman here. The woman represents Israel. You can note that in your Bible, verse 1. And the son represents the high status of Israel, uh, the, God's uh, view of Israel, the moon, uh, likely the worship of God in Israel, as their feasts were always associated with new moons and with the seasons. Uh, so this probably associates with that pretty well. Uh, the child is Christ, and you can note that in verse 5. All right? The child is Christ. Uh, the son represents the high status of Israel. The woman in this chapter represents Israel. And the moon likely uh, the cycle of worship of the Lord in Israel, as their feasts were associated with that. Okay? Now look at verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. And that dragon is Satan, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. Now, let's pause right there. The seven heads are likely the seven successive world empires. We see that in a number of different places, and so we can be pretty safe to think that's exactly what it is, especially the book of Daniel, which we'll be studying after this. So these, these uh, seven world empires, successive world empires, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the final kingdom of the Antichrist, or the revived Roman Empire. So those seven, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the final kingdom of the Antichrist. That's what those heads uh, represent, seven successive world empires. The ten horns represent power over the ten kings of that tribulation period, and we're going to see more of that. Uh, the, the ten horns represent power over the ten kings of the tribulation period. We're going to see more of that in a future time together because it's going to talk more about that, particularly in chapter 13. We're going to see it more clearly there. Um, and so we'll wait and, and look at it because it explains it uh, a little bit more clearly for us. Verse 4, And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Now, you recognize the story, of course, right? It can't apply to anyone but Satan himself. You remember, uh, of course, out of Matthew 2:13, where uh, it tells us about the general massacre of children by Herod shortly after the time of Jesus' birth. And uh, we just know in general, as the, scriptures, uh, as the scriptures talk about successive kings who were ungodly kings, they are... In a very real way, represent what Satan does on the earth. Uh, ungodly kings always represent his own agenda. And so we understand that uh, as uh, Satan is standing there waiting to devour the Lord. And uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, talk about this a little bit. I think that it's a good cross-reference for us. Uh, if, you would, if you've got those down, let's go ahead and switch to Isaiah 14, 12. Now, this passage in particular, there are two passages in Scripture that talk a little bit about Satan's fall from heaven. One of those passages is here in Isaiah, uh, chapter 14, verse 12. Actually, you can turn there if you want. It doesn't appear that we have that slide. I thought I had that there. Isaiah 14, 12. Turn there if you would. And, uh, and this is speaking here particularly about Satan. But in general, the passage is a prophecy uh, speaking about the king of Babylon. Now, you'll hear the similar language that we just saw in the book of Revelation here in Isaiah 14, verse 12. It says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I'll ascend to heaven. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll make myself like the Most High. Verse 15, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. Now, the, the prophecy, the, the 
near fulfillment of that prophecy is speaking of the kings of Babylon. But the far fulfillment of that prophecy, and, and speaking in general, is speaking of Satan. Verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 14 uh, talks about a continued persecution of the nations. So you can see, as it speaks about Babylon, it's talking about the kings, successive, successive kings of Babylon who have persecuted uh, the nations that are around them. But you get to verse 12 and you realize there's a little change there. And although it's speaking of these ungodly kings, who've all, every ungodly king uh, that we see in Scripture who has always exalted himself as God has always been this type of person, done these types of things. But in general, we know that their power comes from uh, a much stronger source, which is Satan himself. And so Isaiah really gives us this picture of Satan falling from heaven. And I like verse 15, particularly of Isaiah 14, as it gives us a little bit of a timeline. And I try to pick up those kind of timestamps uh, as you read through. It kind of helps us put things in perspective. But verse 15 says, Nevertheless, you will be, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Now, why, the reason why I like that is his future final home, and in the second step of what we're reading about now, and the, uh, is, is Satan's fall from uh, from heaven. We see a third step will be the thousand-year binding, and then the fourth and final step, the casting into the eternal lake of fire. So this process of Satan eventually being pushed down to Sheol, where he'll remain forever. But it says, nevertheless, you will be. But I saw him fall. Scripture says from heaven. Ezekiel 28 speaks of that as well. It's speaking of the king of Tyre. And if you read, you can make that as, a, as just kind of a note there on the side of your Bible. Ezekiel 28 speaks of Satan as well. Uh, but it's talking about the king of Tyre and then gives us more information about the fall of Satan. And for time, we won't look at that today. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Uh, you remember as the disciples were coming back to Jesus, Jesus, they were excited that the demons were in subjection to, him, to them and Jesus answered, um, you shouldn't be surprised. The demons are sub, uh, subjected to you. I saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning. And so you get this uh, understanding that Satan was cast down, that because he desired, he desired to be above the Most High, that he was cast down. But he's had some access uh, to, to heaven since that time. We know for sure. What, what's a book in the Old Testament that tells us for sure he had access to the Lord? Job, that's right. We know that for sure, okay? And so he's had some access, but he was cast down from his position where he used to be. And so we know that there's some things going on here and some wrapping up of some things and some, uh, some detail things filled in. Now look at verse 5 of Revelation 12, if you would. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And we know who the child is, right? The child is Jesus Christ. We know that to be true. Uh, we understand his description. Uh, fits very well with our understanding of who Christ is and what his job is. Verse 6 refers to Israel's persecution by the dragon during the last half of the tribulation. 1260 days, once again a time stamp to let us know when that's going to be occurring. And then verses 13 through 17 really describe this for us. Look at verse 6 of Romans 12, or Revelation 12, if you would. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Now the dragon has always been after the child who was born of the woman. He has fought in the past when Satan fell initially. And uh, you know that from verse 4. He'll fight in the future. Verse 7, we're going to see that. Verse 7 says Satan and his demons are going to have a war in heaven with Michael and his angels. And guess who's going to win? Well, Michael and, uh, Super Michael and the angels are going to do that. Look at verse 7, Revelation 12. Uh, there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. 
and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them. Now, contrast that, if you would, with verse 4 that we just read in Revelation 12, all right? That refers to a past event, does it not? When Satan fell from the sky and a third of the demons fell with him and uh, he waited there to devour the child uh, that was going to be born. So we know that uh, Satan was already cast out of his high place in heaven, but he had access to heaven. But here, in particular, we're talking about access, okay? So there's a war going on here uh, during this time of the tribulation period, right there at the last half, at the beginning of the last half. And you see all those time stamps, 1260 days, or time, times, and half a time. And verse 7 says, There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. Verse 8, And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. So no more access to heaven for Satan right at this last half of the tribulation. No more access to heaven. He's had access all this time. Verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who's called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, remember what's going on right now. The kingdoms of the earth have become the kingdom of God and of his Christ. Remember, we're starting to wrap up these things as we complete the second uh, series of uh, signs against the world and wrath on the world. We're wrapping all this up, and up till this point, who's the prince of the kingdom of the world? Who's had that uh, rightful place for a short time? That's Satan, right? He's had the right for a temporary period of time to rule these kingdoms of the world. He's been very active in doing that. Uh, the great dragon, it says, was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. How many does he lead astray? He's busy, isn't he? The whole world. He's at work, deceiving the whole world. You feel like a stranger on earth? You should, right? Because Satan's about deceiving the whole world. It's not unusual uh, for believers to watch a news, forecast, or a news broadcast and to sit back and think, uh, man, I feel, like a, I feel like an alien here. You ever feel like that, that way? I don't belong to this world. What's, what in the world is going on? It gets more like that every year. And uh, you should feel that way because Satan has been in charge, of, in charge of the kingdoms. The Lord's still working out his plan. Uh, but Satan is in charge of these things and the rebellion grows. But here he's thrown down to earth and his angels are thrown down with him. So from chapter 9, remember back in chapter 9, we have demons roaming around the earth that have been released from their bondage, right? From the pit, from Tartarus. They're swarming up on the, uh, on the earth. And uh, in addition to the ones that were already here doing their job, and now Satan and the demons that had access to heaven, and uh, we get some, some interesting uh, re uh, referrals to that, rulers in high places, uh, principalities, those all refer to angels that uh, are, have access to heaven or have high positions in the uh, demonic uh, army. But rulers in high places, they're thrown down. So you have... Uh, all Satan and, his, Satan and his demons no longer have access to heaven, so they're thrown down here. Uh, you have uh, the demons that swarmed out of the pit back in chapter 9. They're all roaming around the earth. And then the ones who are already here are on the earth. So this is sounding like a pretty desperate time for the world, doesn't it? Because of the demons that were already had access uh, now and the ones that had access to heaven and who are doing some work on earth already are working. Plus, now we have all the ones that Satan... Uh, had followed Satan and had access to heaven. They were doing their job uh, now down here, plus all the ones from the pit. You have a huge heavenly horde swarming around on the earth now. Now, you know what they were doing up there, right? Before, when they had access, right during this time, during the church age, you know what Satan and his demons are doing. Revelation 12:10 gives us a little clue on what's been going on up there. 
It's not surprising as the Lord desires to wrap up all these things and turn the earth back over to its rightful owner that he's probably tired of the constant accusation. Look at verse 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. What are they doing? Well, they're saying, Do you see Curtis do that? You see what he just did? You see David do that? You see Mike? See what he just did? See what Alex did? Constantly accusing the brother before the Lord. He's been up there doing that constantly. That's what he did with Job, wasn't it? We got a little snapshot, didn't we? A brief snapshot of heaven with Job, right? The Lord addresses Satan. What are you doing? Roaming about throughout the whole world. And uh, accuses the brethren before the Lord. And the Lord makes a heavenly example of Job. Job doesn't really have any idea what's going to go on. He becomes a heavenly, the point of a heavenly uh, example. And the Lord uses Job to teach us some very valuable lessons about suffering and about difficult times as the Lord can use us to prove a heavenly point. And that's what he did with, with Job. But Satan goes up and accuses Job. He goes up and accuses the brethren. He's been accusing you and me and all of the believers who have ever gone before us and all that will come after us as we wait for the Lord's return. They've constantly done that day and night. They never quit all the time. And the name devil, of course, the Greek verb meaning to slander. So he's been slandering uh, believers and the brethren. And I'm convinced he was quite busy just with my actions, right? Yours too, as he was up there slandering before the Lord. But can you imagine that? Never silent, but now at this point in the tribulation, he can't do that anymore. Verse 11 says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. The they is the brethren of verse 10. That's you and I. That's everyone who has come before us, all who will come after us as we wait for Christ's return. And no accusation can stand against those whose sins have been forgiven because of Jesus' sacrificial death. And so, even though he's constantly been accusing the brethren, uh, they overcame all of those accusations. How? Because of the blood of the Lamb. Right? And we looked at that passage not that long ago out of Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Remember? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ. He's the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. So the accusing has been going on. Satan's been doing that since uh, the beginning of time that we understand. And he will no longer be able to do that because the Lord has provided a way for us through Christ. And those accusations, those slanderings were overcome by the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not, it says, love their life even when faced with death. They understood who was the, the authority in their life. Uh, brethren, Christians, uh, believers all throughout the world have always understood that. And they understood who held their life. So Satan's cast out of heaven. You skip on past Romans 8, 33. The accuser. Satan's cast out of heaven. No room found for him anymore. No more accusing. Uh, the result is rejoicing in heaven. Look at verse 12. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. So at this point, if you think about chronology, who's in heaven at this point? Rapture church, right? Believers who have gone before us are in heaven with the Lord. And here we have this heavens rejoicing. 
Because there's still some on earth. There's still believers coming to know. Uh, there's still people coming to know Christ on earth during this tribulation time. And he says, there's rejoicing in heaven. Satan no longer has access. The demons no longer have access there. But Satan has come down to the earth with great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. And so on earth, you have this incredible result of a demonic infested world. These three sets of demons, the ones that were already here, the ones that came up out of the pit, now the ones that don't have access to heaven anymore. And now his attack is almost always directed at Israel. The rest of chapter 12 really talks about how God protects Israel. Now, uh, in verse 13 through 16, John's told of Satan's attack on Israel. That's mentioned in verse 6 in this chapter, so let's review that. Look at verse 6 of uh, Revelation 12. It says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for 1,200 and 60 days. And once again, anytime you see those time stamps, all right, you wonder, well, when, this, when is this going to occur? Has this already occurred? I mean, is this something that's happened already? Remember that uh, the tribulation time is seven years. It's divided into two halves most of the time in the scriptures, and we understand these two halves to be time stamps for us. And so when you see that, you can realize, okay, this is occurring during the seven-year tribulation period. Look at verse 13. And when and he repeats it again, it gives us a little bit of a, a, a confirmed understanding of when this is happening. When the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So right about the midway point of the tribulation period, uh, Satan and all his demons, they're going to get kicked out. They no longer have access to heaven, only to earth. And so he's there, and there's a warning. There's rejoicing in heaven and a warning to the earth. He's coming down. He knows his time is short, and he has great wrath. He just had a battle, and he lost, and he's down here, and... So he persecuted the woman, verse 13, who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of a great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, here again, a time, a time stamp, time and times and half a time. A time is one year times two years and a half a time, a half a year from the presence of the serpent. Now, this is not an actual bird, all right? Once again, this is how the Bible explains the Bible but a reference to the protection of the Lord. Same language is found when God has brought Israel out of Egypt. Uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, if you turn there, if you would. Or actually, you can put that up for me, William. Are you back there, buddy? <laughs> Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. Uh, I'll just read it to you while they're catching up there. In the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, when they set out from, the Rephidim, from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Verse 3, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you, here's the language, on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now we know how they got out of Egypt, do we not? The Lord delivered them, did he? Didn't he? And he uh, provided great signs in Egypt uh, to crush their resistance and their resolve to hold uh, Israel there. And so he, uh, he refers to that deliverance, the providential protection the Lord provided Israel as wings of eagles. And that's exactly the same uh, language that we have here uh, in Revelation, right? But the two wings of a great eagle were given to the woman where she could fly into the wilderness to her place. And so you get the same imagery of the eagle delivering or an eagle delivering uh, God's people. God's going to protect Israel for, uh, verse 6 says, 1260 days, or verse uh, 14, times, uh, time, times, and half a time, or the last half of the tribulation. He's going to put his protection on Israel. Now remember, we've said this before, 
as we get to the book of Revelation, as we get particularly chapter 4 and following, the story, uh, the story of redemption, the story of God resolving all these things really begins to focus on Israel again. So we, the first part of the New Testament, we have the story focusing on the what? On the church, right? The story focuses on the church, the building of the church, the setting up of the church, um, the governing of the church, all the things the church is doing. But we move into Revelation and just like Romans is going to tell us, as we get to Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, it's going to tell us we're going to turn back towards Israel. God's not forgotten his people. When we get into the book of Revelation, that's exactly what we see. The story begins to be about them and about God's fulfilling his promises to them. And so he's going to protect Israel for 1260 days or time, times, and half a time. The last half of the tribulation period, God is going to be at work protecting his people. Now look at Revelation 12:15. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of its mouth. Now, the water here represents an army really headed up by Satan himself, likely directed by the mouth of the Antichrist, but certainly Satan is at, uh, behind all of this. He's always the one who persecutes Israel. He's going to do it through the voice and the, and the body of the Antichrist, but it's Satan at work. But Scripture refers to armies as floods all the time, so we can see that imagery there and understand what he's talking about. It's not, just a, it's not a water flood. This is a flood of an army. Jeremiah 46, 8. Egypt rises like the Nile, even the rivers whose waters surge about. And he has said, I will rise and cover that land. I'll surely destroy the city and its inhabitants. And so, speaking of Israel and the, and the army of Israel rising up like a flood, and so this is not an unusual illustration. Jeremiah 47.1 uh, That which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh conquered Gaza. Speaking of Pharaoh Hophra, 587, he was on a rampage. He was uh, trying to destroy the, uh, the Philistines. But Babylon, the army itself, was going to come and take all of them by a flood. Listen to the, the, uh, the illustration. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, waters are going to rise from the north... And that north is always referring to Babylon. Uh, waters are going to rise from the north and become an overflowing torrent and overflow the land in all its fullness, the city and those who live in it, and the men will cry out and every inhabitant of the land will wail. So speaking of Babylon as a flood, their army, of course, uh, is a real army. It's really going to come and it was in Jeremiah's time going to come and destroy uh, the city of Jerusalem and everybody in it. We know 586, that's exactly what happened. And so this, is, this language, this symbolic language of a flood, speaking of an army, is very common in Scripture. And so we have the same thing as we look in Revelation 12. Now look at Revelation 12, 17. Satan's going to destroy Israel. God's going to open up the earth. He's going to swallow up the attempt. The earth is just going to open up somehow and swallow all of that up. So the Lord's going to just derail that entire uh, army that's going to be chasing after Israel to destroy her. Now look at verse 17. So the dragon was enraged with the woman. But he couldn't do anything about it, could he? Because he had an army who was sent to destroy Israel, but the Lord is going to protect them in that last half of the tribulation period. And so he's enraged with that woman, but he can't do. He's enraged with Israel, but he can't do anything about it. And he went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, frustrated rage. Satan's uh, defeated here on this one front against Israel. So he takes off to persecute believers still alive during this time. All right, so that's the children, all right, her children, those who are the result of the prophets, are the result of the Messiah. We're referred to 
uh, as her children. We're going to be in heaven. The ones who come to faith during the tribulation time, we are, uh, they are the children referred to here. So believers during this tribulation time, uh, Satan is going to make war with them. Now, it's interesting. I like this last part. We'll close with that because we're out of time. But um, how does he identify the children? Is that great? Do you see that in your Bible? Who are they? They're the ones who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Same way he's always identified them, right? Even in the tribulation time, those who come to faith are going to be the ones who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Isn't that great? Same way they identify believers all through the ages. It's the same way they're going to identify believers then. Even in a very difficult time, even a time of God's wrath being poured out on the earth, many, many millions are going to come to faith and those are considered the children of Israel and Satan is going to make war against them. And he identifies them because they're going to hold to the commandments of God and they obey the, the, uh, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. They're not going to be incognito Christians. All right? They're not going to be, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'll just take the mark. And, you know, me and you, God, we know what's going on, but I'll take the mark. I'll do whatever. Right? It's not going to be that way. They're going to hold to the testimony of Jesus. They're going to obey the commandments of God. And Satan will be able to identify them that way. It's a time of great distress. It's a time of great fear and terror. It's a time of great sorrow uh, for those on the earth. And, uh, a terrible, terrible time for the people that are here. Now, next time we're together, we're going to take a closer look at the Antichrist because that's what the scriptures do in verse thir- or chapter 13 of Revelation. And so we'll be back there uh, next week, Lord willing. So I encourage you, if you would, to uh, read through that and then we can come together and take a study at some of those details about the Antichrist. All right? Here's where we're really filling in some serious gaps here. Here's where... You know, some of, the th- some of the things that we've known in the past, the bits and pieces of the Antichrist is going to rule and Israel's going to be persecuted and these, she's going to be delivered and all these things. Uh, my desire is really to pull those things together to give you kind of a timeline so you can kind of see, okay, how is that going to unfold? How are these, uh, uh, these, uh, these bowls, these trumpets, these seals, how are they going to happen? About when will they happen? And the scriptures, gives us, the scriptures give us a time stamp as we work our way through. We can kind of identify some of the times where these things are going to take place. Let us know what uh, still remains to be done in the future. All right? Let's, um, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for uh, a time together in your word. We thank you for the fun of being with the saints. We thank you for uh, your instruction from your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, inhabiting the pen, the mind of John, giving us your understanding, giving us the vision, uh, and then using the same terms that you've used throughout your words so that we can understand what you're saying. We know this is a time of great distress. We know and understand from your word that believers, uh, church will not be here. Lord, I pray that we'll be motivated to be faithful witnesses. Be a church that's uh, dedicated to spreading the gospel. Lord, help us to be that kind of church. That's the kind of church that always grows. The ones that go out and spread the gospel. I pray that we'll be about that. Motivated by this future terrible time. We certainly don't want to see anyone have to go through that. We know that there's no such thing as the false doctrine of universal salvation. We know that it doesn't happen to everyone. We want to be about giving out your gospel so that all that can hear and respond will. Help us to be faithful servants. Help us to be about doing your will, waiting for your return, whether it's the morning or the noon or the evening. We'll be about walking with you, servants who are doing what you say, not lulled to sleep, not uh, consumed with worldly affairs, taking care of the things here so we might have a good testimony, but realizing that we don't belong to this kingdom. 
We inherit one that never passes away. Help us be about working for that one. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.